Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, I encourage you to go and listen at MyFaithRadio.com. It'll be posted as a podcast later today. You can also get it on the Faith Radio app. Hey, if you haven't already downloaded the app to your phone, like, what are you doing? Why are you not doing that? It's so simple. And then you can access uh, what we're doing in real time anywhere. And you can also uh, very, very easily and simply share uh, the ministry with others. And so you can be a radio missionary. I know you're saying to yourself, I don't listen on, on the radio. I listen on the app. So I'm an app missionary, whatever. Just be a missionary. Like, right? Advance the gospel always and in always in every direction today, in every square inch that uh, that God gives you access to. Go ahead. Plant the seed. Be a person of peace. I talked yesterday with uh, a group of students about fruit salad. So just pause for a moment and consider what do you like in a fruit salad? Are you like a fruit cocktail person who likes the one that comes out of the can? Like there is a part of us that has this like childhood memory of that. And it's either really positive or really negative. I don't really do the canned fruit salad, fruit cocktail thing um, because I don't really like the syrup part of it. I like a fruit salad. I'll just uh, totally acknowledge when somebody takes the time to cut up fruit into little pieces and puts it in a bowl together like that seems like such an act of gracious service to another human being. So um, so what do you like in your fruit salad? What do you not like in your fruit salad? I'm definitely not a person who thinks there should be coconut in a fruit salad. First of all, coconut. It's a nut. It's not a fruit. Don't, don't put nuts in my fruit. Um, and don't put chocolate with my fruit either, by the way. But that's a different conversation. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is present in and with us right now, animating our lives. And what Paul tells us about the Holy Spirit is that there's this fruit salad that comes with the Spirit. And so your fruit salad this morning, as you are out there operating in the world that God so loves, ought to be this wonderful combination of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, it's all the fruit. Get it, Get all the fruit in there. Like, all the fruit salad. Um, and yeah, it's an opportunity certainly for us to do a little fruit inspection. We want uh, fruit to be ever more abundant in our lives. We don't want it to be rotten. Uh, but, you know, I think that when we're talking about how we engage in the cultural conversations of the day, sometimes we have this mental image of ourselves as warriors, right? We are all geared up for battle. We have put on the full armor of God um, as if we're supposed to be doing battle with other people. And that's just not what we're doing. We're bringing fruit salad. Like, that's our job. Bring the fruit salad today. So if you've been wondering, like, what in the world am I supposed to be doing in the world today? Show up as a person of peace, bringing some fruit salad. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. All right. uh, Next up, a person fully endowed with a lot of fruitful 
information. I know he thought that was going a different direction. Peter Kapsner will be with us next. We'll be right back. test here for Peter Kapsner right off the bat. Peter, which fruit did I leave out of the uh, of the word salad there just a moment ago because I left one out. You did. All right. I'd have to go through the nine, right? So there's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I have no yeah. idea if so, I had nine I there or not. Well, I have no, Jason, no, no idea. Jason has pointed out on the text line that I left out faithfulness. And so, you Jason, did. that was totally and 100% completely an oversight on my part. Thank you so much for bringing the faithfulness to the conversation to the fruit salad this morning. Yes, let's show up with the whole fruit salad. There you go. I, I, all of it. I love that idea. And you know what? I, I learned something not too long ago, uh, Carmen, for, for all of you uh, biblical geeks out there that like to get into the original language, that when uh, when it shows the fruit of the Spirit— it actually, there's only one fruit that ends up in a ton of different expressions that you see there, that, that the only fruit you actually get is love, and that it's so concentrated, it sort of bursts out in all of these other kinds of directions of goodness and joy and faithfulness and all of that. So it was pretty interesting that when you think about God is love, and that he has this sort of passionate, other-centered, never-forsaking affection that seeks the, the wholeness of another person ahead of himself that that then that manifests in you know faithfulness and goodness and kindness and all of these different things it was uh, you know so if you're an exegetical nerd out there this morning now uh, you you can geek out on that one for a little bit amen amen I love that amen 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 okay so um let's see do you have any comment on these two items number one the atlanta braves won the world series do you have any comment on this Oh, I, so exciting. I think yours and my favorite player, Jock Peterson, right? Uh, Peterson <laughs> with, with the pearl necklace. His team his team won the World Series. Actually, I, I love the Braves won. And he did not really help. I'm just no, saying. No, he didn't like, at all. Does he, he like, went like one for 14 or something? Some horrible. Okay. <laughs> he, so, he did, indeed. Yes. Uh, all right. So how about the Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers reportedly testing positive for COVID? And yet all of the headlines coming out in relationship to this, which for those of you uh, who care and are paying attention, that means he will not be playing this coming Sunday in the game against the Kansas City Chiefs, which I think improves the odds that the Chiefs are going to win. Um, So, but all of the headlines related to this, Peter, uh, have to do with this language that Aaron Rodgers has been, quote, considered unvaccinated. This is new for me. This whole this whole thing that we don't really know if people are vaccinated or unvaccinated, and so people are considered unvaccinated. Like, that sounds kind of pejorative. <laughs> it, it does. Our linguistic choices, right? I mean, they, they can be very subtle at times, but they certainly <laughs> indicate who uh, who thinks they are in power and who should maybe be controlling the behavior of other people. And, and I think that has definitely played itself in the NFL. The NFL was very clear about wanting to have all of their players vaccinated. Um, and so there was actually some controversy for the Minnesota Vikings quarterback where I live, and that's Kirk Cousins, who said he was not going to get vaccinated. That created a rift between him and his coach. And now we see this happening with Aaron Rodgers as well. Now, as a Vikings fan, I will say that I wish Aaron Rodgers uh, nothing but the best of health. But I can't, you know, the, the fact that he might not be on the field for a week or so to give us. A- 
a Vikings Uh-oh. fan, maybe just a little bit so... of hope. But yet, what we've learned, no, we've learned. My my kids are learning even now, Carmen, that they watch Vikings field goal kickers miss left and right and, and all over the place. And they already know there's no hope, actually, that the Vikings will ever make it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys can communicate directly with Peter. You don't have to tweet or at me uh, on the text line about that because that just was mischief right there. Okay, 106 Indeed. to nothing. 106 to nothing. Uh, my mom observed that uh, college, she thinks that like in football, that college teams who are more than like 30 points ahead should just kind of stop and let the other team catch up a little bit. Like she just, there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a point differential at which she feels like it's, it's no longer fun and it's just demoralizing. And how does that serve anybody? 106 to nothing. What am I talking about? Yeah, there's a college or a California high school football game in which the team was obviously quite a bit better than the other team. I think they're ranked 31st in the state, and the other team was like 975th in the state. And so they, I, I, the score at the end of the first quarter was 52 to nothing, and it was quite clear what was going to happen from there. And and I'm not somebody who sympathizes with uh, the idea of participation trophies. I think it doesn't necessarily teach what we wanted to teach. I understand what the what the uh, impulse was, but it doesn't seem to to play itself out that way. But on the flip side, my son played little league this last summer, and uh, they have a they have a five run rule at the end of each inning, and it just is a is a bit of mercy when somebody might be struggling on the mound or the other team is running up the score. By contrast, in their fall practice league, they didn't have that, and and one team I think batted for about 13 hours straight and I think they scored about 160 runs against you know these poor pitchers and there just wasn't any end to it and and at, what are you teaching at that point you're not teaching class you're not te- uh, teaching sportsmanship and I think what was a little bit disheartening about that 106 to 0 game was that the team that was in the lead had the opportunity in the second quarter to go from a stopped clock meaning that at the end of each play the clock will stop to a running clock just just to allow the game, the game was clearly in hand. There was no doubt about who was going to win. And so just let the clock run and have just a bit of mercy in the situation. And not only did they refuse to do so, they left their starting quarterback in the game all the way through the fourth quarter to continue to run up the score. And I just don't see any purpose other than, I don't, you know, malevolence almost, just to rub in the score into the other team and or, or set records or something along those lines. And And I think... It's just another expression, Carmen, about how we, I think, struggle to have some classiness in the way we communicate with one another. And and when you go back to what you're talking about with how we can be in the world as believers today, one simple thing would be is just just act with some class towards the people around you. It'll be so different than how we are tending to treat each other as social media has kind of disintegrated the conversation among so many different institutions that if we just treat each other with class, that class with the underpinning of the fruit of the spirit, I think really can shine some light and and would be a needed balm for a lot of people. Amen. I I think that that is, uh, that is absolutely accurate and true. All right, let's take a very brief break. And when we come back, um, let's talk about uh, an article that we both read, um, you know, the the proposition of a Christian town, um, because I don't think you would be allowed to live there. That's up next. (laughs) That's up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Going down to the river, down to 
right. This is one of those conversations where I have to be careful because um, I recognize that there are uh, appropriate ways to have this conversation, and I don't want to have. Uh, I, I don't want to make more nor less uh, than should be made of of this challenge. All right, we're talking about the town of Moscow, Idaho. Um, and we're talking about a church called Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, that has as one of its stated goals to, quote, make Moscow a Christian town. Um, and they talk uh, in plenty of open source documents and materials about how they intend to do that. And the language of theocracy is uh, is in view and in play. So, Peter, um Help us differentiate between living as Christians and influencing the culture where we live versus an attempt to uh, press everyone, including those who are not people of faith, into our way of thinking. Yeah, that's, I think, boy, did you frame the question really, really well, I think there, Carmen. I think when when you become a student of history, and you can study this in other world religious patterns, too, this isn't just um, specific to Christianity. It's happened in, in other patterns like Islam and, and even Buddhism and Hindu, Hinduism to a certain extent, is within Christianity, there there is this watershed threshold moment that happened in the 400s when Constantine, the Roman Empire, our emperor of the Roman Empire did something similar on a much larger scale to what we're talking about here. And that was when he took Christianity and he, t- he took the Christians who had been hiding and running in catacombs, but they had been living a faithful life together of mutuality and, and love was present in their midst and, and they were being martyred for their faith. And because of that way of life, Christianity continued to explode so much so that Constantine had to reckon with its influence in his society. And so what did he do? He turned the Roman Empire into a place where Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. It was it was very much a political move on Constantine's part. There's there's a lot of uh, backstory to some of that. And, and there's a lot of controversy about whether he actually became a believer himself. Some people say that he had a, a vision of, of a, a Roman shield of some kind with a cross on it and, and all of this. But but I think most historians would suggest that he understood the political move that allowed him to consolidate power in his empire. And when you see the intersection now of Christianity with social power, as, again, as a student of history, you see that it's almost always to the detriment of Christianity. When, when Christianity tries to find its vehicle of witness through political or social power, that witness itself gets corrupted and compromised by that power. It's how it works. As, as Christians, we live in such a way in which whatever power we have is meant to be let go and live in mutuality with one another. This this is Philippians 2. Have this same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the very nature God, he didn't consider that equality, that power with God, something to be held onto. Rather, he let it all go and, and became this, this obedient servant. And all of that with backstory, Carmen, Christianity is, uh, Christ, Christians are meant to live in mutual love with one another without a, pow- uh, a power hierarchy associated with it. And I think that's where this whole thing gives me a town. Uh, the, this town gives me pause is, is I understand, again, the impulse to want to have Christianity dominate our social conversation. But I think we have to be very careful what we're playing with. 
in this instance, and especially when we move into a power hierarchy versus a mutuality. And I think Christian organizations struggle with this, Carmen. This is part of why the church is is in a process of decaying and crumbling a little bit in terms of an institution and why young people are fleeing the church is they don't want to exist within these hierarchies of power in which they are being sort of told what to do on every level or else they can just go to a different church. The same thing's happened at the town. This is a really big conversation about what Christian expression is to look like in the future in terms of mutual communities in which people who have been gifted by the Spirit in a variety of ways use those gifts, exercise those gifts on behalf of the community. Some of them will be teachers. Some of them will have gifts of hospitality. Some of them will have gifts of compassion. This is the language of 1 Corinthians where your gifts don't lead you to a hierarchy. They lead you to a mutuality in which you you serve and, and exist to be with one another. And when you have a community like that, Carmen, that's evangelism. That's what shines light into the world. I think we get confused that evangelism is our ability to tell the story of what Jesus did. We only tell the story of what Jesus did after our lived lives together shine a different kind of light in the world. Uh, and, and so we live by that. So I, there's a lot, okay? And I mean, I just said a lot here, but I think that we have to be very careful not to wed Christianity with social power if you're a student of history, it doesn't end well. It, it almost always collapses in corruption and power plays and strife and division and sometimes even bloodshed that we saw with the Crusades. Very well said. Very well said. Okay, we have uh, people texting in uh, <clears throat> on the topic of the fruit salad. <laughs> and so I'm going to need you to uh, come back around to that conversation here briefly. Sure. Um, how do you feel about chopped nuts in, um, in fruit salad and even possibly celery? Oh, celery is among the most useless vegetables in my mind. It it it, it doesn't. It's stringy, right? It's no, hard it, to cut. it's adding crunch. The argument well, being made is that it's adding crunch, and so I guess here's what I'm concerned by: how smushy is your fruit that you feel like you need to add now, celery to your fruit now, salad? See, this crunchy is a grapes fruit are way issue. Better. Is it? Yeah, yeah no, right, no, no, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Crunchy yeah. grapes are way better. Yeah, not celery, mm-hmm. and nuts I'm allergic to, so I can't do that deal. But yeah, if I wanted crunch, you said chocolate earlier. I could put some Nestle Crunch in there and probably be terribly satisfied. <laughs> I have to tell you. Okay, so then um, I I think that uh, you know I started out with this bit of a hard no in relationship to nuts in the fruit salad, but then I have come around to you know I do like like pecans on a salad that also has strawberries in it. And I do like nuts with dried fruit. I just don't want nuts in the fruit salad itself. I like nuts by themselves. I like nuts with chocolate. (laughs) I feel like if you're going to make a nut salad, it should have chocolate and dried fruit. And then it's more like trail mix. Which is also, okay, so Christians need to be out there on the trail, advancing the gospel always and in all ways, and trail mix is easier to transport (laughs) than fruit salad. It it definitely is, because the fruit salad historically gets very mushy in my pocket. And so I totally agree with the trail mix. And and what here's the thing, Carmen. I've never had nuts in my fruit salad because I am allergic to them. I'm also allergic to crustaceans. So someday when you and Jim are in town for the next uh, share event, please come over with your EpiPens. And I want to experience the fullness of the fruit salad. But we're going to throw some shrimp and lobster and crab in there, too, and just get it over with. I've never tasted this in my entire life. And so bring the EpiPens, fruit salad crustaceans all of the above. 
All right. Um, Lori says celery and fruit salad is just heresy. So there you go. Thank you, Lori. Yes, you are correct. Strong strong (laughs) opinions this morning. Strong opinions. All right. um, We love you. Thank you so much, as always, for uh, for joining us. Hey, do you know that um, Susie Larson has written a devotional for us, and it's called Prepare Him Room, and we're giving them away? And people should go to MyFaithRadio.com and enter the drawing. They should. For they the Prepare Him Room devotional. It's even more than that. It's like a whole stack of stuff that yeah. we're sending out. She's right. great with devotional. She's great with it. Yeah, she's actually going to come on next week and talk with us about it. I'm really excited. I'm so oh, excited. that's great. All right. Awesome. Yeah, all Looking right. forward to it. That's, that's cool. Peter Kapsner. As always, thank you so much, our friend. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. Talk to you soon. All right. got to take a break for Breakpoint. talked about breakfast and I mean you know, fruit salad right let's talk about lunch so I'm gonna have lunch today with uh, with some listeners who happen to be in town so that's gonna be really fun and one of us is at the end of lunch gonna have to pay for it because in fact there is no free lunch that is the title of the brand new book by David Bosson. And you're saying to yourself, now, wait a second, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, you have um, you have heard him on the Today Show. You have heard him on CNBC and Bloomberg and Fox News and Fox Business and all over the place. And today uh, he is joining us right here to talk about no free lunch, 250 250, we're not going to cover them all, trust me, economic truths that um, that help us live into real flourishing, not only individually, but as a people. And so let's uh, gear ourselves up to have a conversation about, you know, frankly, how money works and how we can uh, work to put our money to greater work that, frankly, everything around us might work better. All right. No free lunch up next with David Bosson. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. I and my attendants will fast as you do. This is Max Locato. Queen Esther faced an immovable wall and the possibility of death for making the wrong move. Rather than rush into the throne room of King Xerxes, she humbled herself and stepped into the throne room of God. She knew that God's intervention was the only hope. It wasn't Esther's glamour that opened the throne door. It was her prayers. She came before the king in beauty, only after she lingered before the king of kings in humility. And aren't we called to do the same? Friend, don't think for a moment you have what it takes to weather this winter. Yet don't think for a second that God won't give you what you need. This is Max Lucado. David Boston is the founder, managing partner, and chief investment officer for the Bonson Group, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. If you're looking for them, they're a national private wealth management firm. They got offices across the country. Um, prior to launching the Bonson Group, uh, he spent eight years as a managing director at Morgan Stanley, six years as vice president at UBS. He knows some things about the economic world and the financial times in which we live. And he joins us today to discuss his new book, 
there's no free lunch. David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, it is so good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so it's great to have you. 250 is a lot. Like, that's a lot. So um, we're obviously not covering all 250 of these economic truths. Let's uh, let's frame it in the context of just a couple of, th- of things. Um, the free market and freedom itself. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think I wrote the book on one economic truth, and then I pulled 250 sub-truths out of it. The one truth is that God made humans to act. And all of economics flows out of that basic creation doctrine principle that uh, human beings were made in the image of God with dignity and that they act and they act rationally and they act off of incentives and they they act um, in cooperation with one another. They act with self-interest. Um, but they act with both a moral and an intellectual agency and capacity uh, that makes economics and makes prosperity possible. And that's what the book is intended to do, is give us a foundation for how economics works. All right. So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourselves, oh, I need that. I need to understand how economics works. Um, we're actually giving copies away. So our friends over at Simon & Schuster have uh, graciously given us some copies, and we are going to pass them along to you. So if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of No Free Lunch that we have to give away, just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Um, all right, so let's drill down a little bit further on the forces of the free market and the importance of freedom um, itself, because they are, they seem both integral to this larger conversation. Well, I, I agree. I think that what you have is uh, societies that allow for greater political freedom, personal freedom, civic freedom, inevitably have more economic freedom. And where you have economic freedom with limits in those other categories, you inevitably have a sort of um, milk toast economy. It isn't quite what it's intended to be. And so freedom is a sort of uh, necessary um, component of, of free markets. The market's dealing with exchange, right? Our roles as producers and consumers uh, interacting and exchanging with one another. When you have freedom there and allow for a bit of incentives, yet still have a society in which there are significant restrictions on personal decisions, on religious liberty, on on political freedom, free speech. Um, You don't allow the flourishing. And this is really what the American project was about. The American experiment was essentially um, not just about gold, but about God (laughs) as well. In other words, that juxtaposition of political, religious, and economic freedom. So, David, I think that, um, you know, if if I were going to make the case of the critic, um, like one question that I'd be asking right now, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the conversations that my 27-year-old is trying to have with his friends who have all become, uh, you know, they, they've all become advocates of socialism, even though they all grew up with the absolute tremendous benefits of free market capitalism uh, and, and the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. So I'm, try, I'm trying to help me make the case to that group of young people 
that they have misunderstood um, why people are in uh, are in poverty and why people are not flourishing and how we can all work better in the direction of free enterprise and real freedom to uh, to bring about human flourishing in ways that socialism will will not. Well, I, that's basically why I wrote the book, is that there are these people who grew up in a free enterprise system. They live off of the kind of DNA that um, a more free market society produces. And yet now they find themselves what seems to people like you and me to be embracing socialism. But what I really think it is, is that they're rejecting what they think they know about capitalism, that they've been given a bad view of what free enterprise is. But when you say, um, well, how do we account for the, the poverty? This is the argument I would make is how do we account for the people that have come out of poverty? And there is no debate. There is no controversy that when you look at billions of people in 30 years, the quickest in human history that we have seen people be able to be escalated out of poverty, it has only been where there has been an embrace of free markets, market reforms, and, and enterprise in society. What I think young people are very frustrated with is something I'm frustrated with, which is not real free markets, free enterprise, it's fake capitalism. It is government in relationship with business where they put their finger on the scale and it poisons the well for everybody. The fact of the matter is, is that human beings work off incentives and all free enterprise is, is a system in which people are allowed to be their best selves to flourish with the abilities, passions, and skills that God has given them. And what socialism is, is a system that creates two castes of people. There's the good cast, which is all the producers that are out there being creative and innovative and building uh, resources for everyone else's benefit. And then there's the other cast that is meant to just live off of the productivity of the others. And it is not merely that I think it's unfair or it's economically mismatched. My argument to your son's friends is that that robs those people of their dignity. I do not believe those people are inferior I believe they're capable of being productive and innovative. They have a creative capacity that God gave them. And that's what free enterprise is about, is allowing 100% of people in society the opportunity to flourish. All right. If you want to better understand everything from covetousness and class envy to free trade and crony capitalism um, and creative destruction and incentives, yep, All of those are subject matter uh, covered in No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Uh, David Bonson is the author. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Continuing our conversation with David Bonson, he is, among other things, the author of There Is No Free Lunch. Um, David, let's talk about the fact that this book is less like a textbook and more like a devotional. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And it was definitely by design. It was the the way I meant to write it. And, And of course, I was inspired by 
the very many daily devotional type books I've I've read over the years, there is something about a kind of daily snippet that um, is allowed to marinate throughout the day. It's allowed uh, for it gives us time to reflect. It gives us time to ponder. Where sometimes certain heady materials like economics, when you sit down and read a 300-page book, it, it can be a bit overwhelming. I wanted something uh, more pithy. And, and I wanted also to utilize some of the great work and material and thought of the giants that have come before me. And so that's how I wrote the book was a daily page with a quote from a uh, past or present economist and then my commentary on it. And I'm trying to, from those 250 points, give readers a whole view of economics, a whole understanding but a daily kind of economic devotional is sort of the idea. And I'm hoping that'll help people absorb it better. All right. I'm going to read one. So the quote uh, on the top of this page is by George Gilder. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You sure are. All right. Most of America's leading entrepreneurs are bound to the mass of their fortunes. They are allowed to keep their wealth only as long as they invest it in others. In a real sense, they can keep only what they give away. It has uh, been given to others in the form of investments. It is embodied in a vast web of enterprises that retains its worth only through constant work and sacrifice. Capitalism is a system that begins not with taking, but with giving to others. George Gilder. And then you offer this reflection. This so beautifully encapsulates the connection between free enterprise and human flourishing. The very incentives of a market economy first promote flourishing by demanding service to others if one is to meet profitably in the marketplace. But then, having achieved wealth, capital is deployed in the very markets that drive future growth and prosperity. Successful entrepreneurs may choose to bury their money or burn their money, providing little social benefit after the first act. But that would be perilous to their own self-interest. The system itself would never intend such. Rather, it, uh, it incents, so incentivizes, reinvestment, the pursuit of further return on investment, and thus uh, activate or activities that inevitably better those around him or her as well. So that gives you uh, a taste of what is contained in There Is No Free Lunch by David Bonson. Um, David, I appreciate your personal reflection on what others have written. I also think that one of the things you do here is you just introduce us to a lot of people about whom we have never heard. Like, I don't know who George Gilder is or was. Well, I, I hope that that's true because there are people in the book that I want everyone to be introduced to, and George is one of them. Now, George is one of the Christian uh, intellectuals and economists who, who I quote from. There are others who are not, um, and yet I think have done pioneering work in the cause of free markets. Many people are familiar with guys like Milton Friedman, Friedrich Hayek, who were real famous 20th century free market economists, but they were not faith-oriented. And so it blends a bit of both and and... I believe that that introduction gives everyone a little bit of, you know, history of this economic thought as well. And yet, hopefully, my own commentary and editorializing uh, doesn't impose too, too much on the wisdom of their messages. No, I think it demonstrates 
you know, how how you take something that you're reading and you think about it and you roll it over in in your own experience and your own expertise and you say, aha, this is um, this is what is here for me now moving forward. And so I really I appreciate what you've done. Um, if you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of There Is No Free Lunch that we have to give away today, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. David, how do you, like if you could, um, if you could have this book land in the right place in the conversations of the day and in the way people are thinking and operating um, in in the economic realities uh, that we face today, what do you hope is maybe one tangible outcome? Well, I do wish, of course, that there are people who are are uh, tempted by progressivism and socialism and a heavy um, state intervention in the economy. I would love for people to read it and be persuaded otherwise, but I don't think that's the low-hanging fruit of the book. I think it's my real vision Uh, my prayer is that people who already have an instinct for free markets, there's already something that they kind of naturally migrate to about the idea of more of a free economy, but they don't necessarily have a great foundation for defending it. Um, Or they're just tempted to defend it without uh, a domain of spiritual uh, uh, consideration. That That they think of free markets as kind of this worldly thing and they believe in it and it's an efficient system for economics but it's sort of separate from their faith or separate from how they view the whole world i want people to be able to come out of it with an understanding that economics is rooted in god's revealed truth and that out of the um, message of creation and the way in which god created man and the human person we develop uh, more robust defense of free enterprise that's my real intent for the book okay and in the in the couple of minutes we have left could you tell people what what is and what is on the dctoday.com and dividendcafe.com because you're a busy guy I'm, I'm, I'm a busy guy, um, but that's okay because God made me to be productive as well. So um, I'll take it. But uh, the dctoday.com is a daily um, investment periodical that me and my, my company put out. Um, so every day just sort of recapping what took place in the markets, in the economy, um, and in uh, public policy. And then dividendcafe.com, and you can get to both sites from, the, from each other. So they're kind of intertwined. But Dividend Cafe is my weekly investment commentary that is more, um, shall we say, a big theme every week. There's like a single topic every week. And so some who just want to read one a week would probably like Dividend Cafe better. The DC Today is more a daily kind of update on what's happening in the world. So, David, I know there's people listening right now who are just so thankful that um, a guy who knows God is in this business and literally in the business of business. And so um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the contributions that you make that you make each and every day to the larger conversation going on in the country. Um, And thank you for there's no free lunch. Uh, It really does help us. Um, integrate our thinking on the matters of economics and human flourishing and a free market and what it means to live as a free people today. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today.
Well, thank you for saying that. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure. We'll be right back. All right, let's be mindful today that God and Jesus Christ has done for us what we could not and could never do for ourselves. Um, And so when we talk about the freedom that we enjoy in Christ Jesus and the freedom that for those of us who are listening right now in the context of the United States of America, the freedom that we enjoy as a free people, let us um, use that liberty for goodness and for grace. Let us let us use it for the advancement of the gospel. Let's be people who show forth the good news today. It is still news. There are a lot of people who do not know who Jesus is, what he came to accomplish, nor that there is a table set before us in the kingdom forever. It's not free. It's been paid for by the cost of his blood. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.